Remember, kid, there's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered, but the greatest movie of all time never dies. Today on the show, The Sandlot. The greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie. Come on and hear me now. Greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie. Come on and hear me Welcome, everybody, to the greatest movie of all time podcast, the podcast in which I, your co-host, The Game, Rick Barrasso. And I, your co-host, Derek, nicknames Galore Smith. And along with our special guest who actually has a nickname, which is the Internet Warlord, and that is, of course, returning guest Cameron Pond. How are you boys doing today? Excellent. Doing well. Thanks for having me back. Glad to have you. And can't wait to get into The Sandlot because I had a lot of fun watching it. Uh, but this is the podcast where we are going to watch every single movie ever made. And we're going to help decide which is the greatest of them all. So today, as we set up top, we're going to try to pickle the beast with The Sandlot. But let's take care of some business first. Last week, we had Gia Smith on to discuss The Warriors. She came out to play. Check that one out any of her library on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever app you use, subscribe, review if you can. It really is incredibly helpful for the show if you do. And you know, if you had thoughts on it or if you have anything else you want us to cover, let us know on social media. We are the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast on Facebook, at Great Movie Cast on Twitter. We are at Rick and Rick on Instagram, and you can always shoot us an email at greatestmoviepod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And of course, most importantly, as our friend who we grew up playing stick out in the sandlot with, Bruce Wayne would say, tell your friends about us. This and week, I also uh, want to cut in and just let you know too, if you want to reach Rick, if you want to reach Rick physically, you can always head down to his house, which is 123 Greatest Podcast Avenue in any town USA. Yes, that is my address. Anyway, this week, let's talk about a movie. I, I think it was signed by like a, like a, a, a baby Ruthie. Uh, the Sandlot. Sandlot is a 1993 kids baseball movie. It's uh, directed, written by, and narrated by David Mickey Evans. It stars Tom Geary as Scotty Smalls. Mike Vitar as Benny the Jet Rodriguez, Karen Allen as Mrs. Smalls, Dennis Leary as Bill, and the legendary James Earl Jones as Mr. Myrtle. It made $34.3 million on a $7 million budget. It has a 7.8 on the Internet Movie Database, a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it has a 55 on Metacritic. Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, Man, they don't like this movie. Um, I made thoughts on that. We'll, we'll get to it. But uh, Ebert did like it. Three out of four said it was really, really captured the perspective of children. Uh, Bob Cannon from Entertainment Weekly said it was, you know, he, he kind of stretched a baseball uh, analogy. It was great at the fundamentals, but not spectacular. And for a negative view, uh, Leonard Claddy, Clady, Claddy from Variety said it was, quote, remarkably shallow. So, I this is actually a Rick's pick. I chose this one because it's it's a movie I I grew up with and I I really loved. Cam, when we wanted you back on the show, I was not expecting you to pick this one. I, I sent you a list of a bunch of episodes, upcoming episodes at the time, and you got back to me in about thirty five seconds, and you're like Sandlot. It will be blood. The Sandlot. I was like, what? Why? I love yeah. a challenge. You know, okay. I'm consistently inconsistent. <laughs> what can I say? I don't remember the other movies that you, uh, I do remember that you sent me a list and I do remember that um, this probably was the dark horse or wild card uh, of the bunch. I don't remember exactly the other ones that you sent me. 
Um, obviously, all of the other episodes that you did recently. And I don't know, it probably was just the one where, like, I knew, like, I feel like There Will Be Blood is a pretty heavy lift, and this is a pretty lightweight by comparison. And um, it's not necessarily something, it's something I've seen a million times, but it's not necessarily something that uh, I'm, like, always going out to watch again. Um, it had certainly, like, been a while. And, uh, yeah, here we are. Yeah, well, I'm 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 definitely uh, definitely glad to to have somebody else to uh, to discuss this uh, this movie with get another voice in here with with us because quite frankly I'm sick of Derek, but hey, <laughs> <laughs> no, I I I'm glad to to talk about this with with anybody. But before we get to talking about what we thought of the movie, let's go over what actually happens in the movie. So Derek. This one is actually a longer description than I thought it would be, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to try to get it all in. Uh, Derek, I have zero faith in you. Thanks, Derek. I appreciate that. End of the podcast. Son of a bitch. <laughs> no. So, uh, Derek, each week you choose a song on your Spotify instead of using a stopwatch or a clock or any traditional, let's say, timekeeping devices. What song have you chosen for this week? I chose the song that is actually uh, played when the rival team, uh, the Tigers, uh, drive their bikes up, uh, and that is called Green Onions by Booker T and the MGs. Wow, Harlem Heat and that song. Great career for Booker T. Shut up. <laughs> All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Go. Scotty Smalls moves to California with his mother and stepfather, where he quickly befriends a group of baseball-obsessed neighborhood kids, most notably future pro baseball player Benjamin Rodriguez. Hardball neophyte Smalls uses his, father's, his stepfather's ball, autographed by Babe Ruth, which is hit New Yard, patrolled by the Beast, a vicious dog of legend. After many failed retrieval attempts, Benny is visited by the Babe in a dream, jumps the fence to get the ball, and must outrun the Beast. Luckily, the dog's owner is a nice old man, equally obsessed with baseball, who replaces the ball with one autograph by the 27 Yankees. The boys eventually leave each other's lives, except for Scott and Benny, who remain close, lifelong friends. Time, 29 seconds. Nice yep. job. Got it in. Yes. You doubted me, and I <laughs> rose to the occasion. Listen, Rick, you play ball like a girl. Hey, Derek. Why don't you go your fucking shine box? Wow. You know what? All right. Didn't realize we – I didn't know we could mix other movies in. Where we, we can – any movie we've talked about is fair game for instance. Okay. All right. Yep. Good, good to know. So let's, uh, let's talk about, um, you know, now that we know what has happened in the movie, the events of the movie, although I did leave out, unfortunately, due to time, some of the more iconic moments, but I'm sure we'll talk about them here, at least some of them. Let's go to our top three favorite scenes in the movie. So Cam, you are the guest of honor here. Let's start with you. What's your number three favorite scene in the Sandlot? My number three favorite scene in the Sandlot is the uh, game during the 4th of July fireworks. And yeah, I chose the scene um, because uh, I love fireworks, <laughs> but um, also because of how there are obviously so many times in this movie where you've got to suspend uh, or uh, a belief, whatever. But uh, this one is one of the more hilarious ones to me with the notion of the um, multi-hour fireworks display that is uh, so intense in nature it illuminates the whole sky long enough to play baseball well into the night and um, yeah I just feel like that's kind of the that's actually the point in the movie where you know it kind of switches from being a story about you know getting acquainted with the neighborhood and the neighborhood kids to um, you know, the, the challenge of the beast that really pre presents itself at that point. Um, and that's kind of the, the point at which uh, things shift. So yeah, that third favorite scene. Excellent. Derek, what's your three? We are on the same page, Cam. That's mine too. Fourth of July scene is my number three. I, you know, I think for me, one of the big reasons why it's number three is I love that rendition of America the Beautiful by Ray Charles too. It kind of adds a lot to the, to the scene. And uh, I love when Ham is just like, he's just running through like the little party that's happening and he's just making a hot dog while everyone's already way ahead of him. And I'm like, that's something that I would totally do. And they're all running. And, and then, yeah, like you mentioned the fireworks, um, it just, I guess goes for hours. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but I think I, I appreciate the scene so much because number one, it's one of my favorite holidays and not because of independence day, but because it's a holiday while during it's warm out, you know, in a lot of places. So, and I love the warm weather. 
So, but, Derek, you're saying you don't appreciate the freedom that you have? Oh, no, I do. I do. No, I do appreciate that. But it's not the reason why it's their favorite, their favorite team. But I do like the fact that, like, it really shows how much baseball matters to Benny the Jet Rodriguez compared to everybody else who's just completely, you know, taken up by the fireworks in the sky. And he's still running around the bases, doesn't really care. It's a really cool scene. It's a lot of fun. And it's, it's definitely one of the most memorable. So it made my number three. All right, great. My number three is the – it's actually two scenes, but they're back-to-back. And it is the – well, it's, it's a sequence. It's the, the Babe Ruth dream into the, the beast chase, I guess you would call it, with the, uh, the PF flyers, the super serious, like, it'll make a kid run faster, jump higher, PF flyers. To, I mean, I'm a sucker for a giant cake gag as well. <laughs> and uh, you know I love a good baby face turn, which the beast has here at the end of the movie. So that is my, uh, that's my three. And um, Art LaFleur is in my head, despite the fact that he's in this movie for a minute and 20 seconds or whatever the hell it is, he is in my head, the ultimate cinematic Babe Ruth. I don't know. I, I feel like his Babe Ruth is good, but like, I feel like his advice is pretty shitty. Like he just shows up and he's like, oh, you're in a pickle. Oh, I'll just go over the fence and get it. And he just starts walking out. And I'm like, what, what do you even, why did you even arrive? Of course, Benny the Jet thought of that. You dick. But he clearly didn't. I don't know. He did. Think- he had to remind, he had to remind Benny that him tearing the guts out of the ball was a sign. A Let me sign ask you this. Let me ask you this. When Benny the Jet Rodriguez woke up, was that Hank Aaron card missing? Did Dream Babe Ruth take that card? You'd have to ask him. <laughs> I screwed have, up. Yeah. Anyway, let's go on to uh, number two. Cam, what's your number two favorite scene? My number two favorite scene is the uh, ball retrieval with the erector set. Um, specifically uh and while i like uh while i like most of the ball retrieval scenes this one is definitely my favorite um specifically just because it's the most relatable um and uh yeah again that that really is like the the final attempt before you know things start to go a different direction so yeah that is uh the ball retrieval scene with the erector set all right great derek what's your two I got to go with the, uh, the showdown with the uh, rival team, the Tigers. When they show up and Squints is just like, oh, no. And you're like, oh, here we go. And the, the insults back and forth are so hilarious. Like, they're just like, they're timeless. Uh, except for the one where Ham is like, you eat your weenies with your mama's toe jam. I was like, that's pretty creative. I wouldn't have thought that. Just going back and forth. And then, of course, the ultimate insult is you play ball like a girl just completely just shatters every everything you could possibly say. But I feel like nowadays it's bullshit because there's a lot of really great female athletes. So, you know, I can understand people being like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. But, you know, they're kids. They're just, they're just throwing shit at each other. Uh, and you're like, wow, this team looks pretty good. They got uniforms. They got bikes. They got, like, jackets over their uniforms. Like, wow, they got it all. And then pretty badass. The, the, the Sandlot gang just, just, just completely annihilates them. And it's like great. everybody in the team is hitting, like, doubles, triples, home runs. Like, even the small guys in the team are, like, cranking out home runs. And I'm like, damn, uh, good stuff there. And I love uh, – I'm sorry, uh, Rick. Uh, Ham's in the back catching – and he's just like talking shit to everybody as they're batting. <laughs> it's just amazing. Is that your sister naked out in the center field? Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I yeah, I, I feel like, and this is uh, kind of a theme that, that keeps coming around. I'll, I'll cover it, but keep, keep that in mind of like, they must have won that game 33 to nothing. <laughs> right, right. Like, just based on the, like, the, the highlights that we saw. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, it's just a, an absolute slaughter rule game. I wonder if they, if they picked a name for themselves or if they were just like, oh, we're just the Sandlot guys. I think, I think they're just the – I don't think they had – they didn't even keep score. Right. Let alone they have a team name. Right. I, I, I would say one thing about that that is kind of strange. Benny and the when, Jets. Like, I like it. I like it. When uh, Ber- uh, Bertram, like, slides into second base and he's like, beat ya. And I'm like, <laughs> there's no umpire. It's like, uh, how is there not fist fights over that shit? I um, mean, I'm sure there was. I mean, maybe. apparently – Apparently, uh, you know, Ham is just a – it becomes like world champion or whatever, <laughs> world champion wrestler at the end. But, right. yeah, speaking of that, my number two scene is actually the montage at the end – towards the end of the movie where they – the kids kind of literally and figuratively disappear from each other's lives in a lot of ways. And it's like – that – it's such a beautiful way of putting it because there are those friends you had when you were a kid that just kind of – they fade away. You know, nothing happens where it's like, yeah, I, I don't like this person anymore. I mean, sometimes that happens. As, uh, yeah, some people can, can attest to you on this call. But <laughs> yeah, 
but most of the time when you lose a friend, you don't really lose a friend. They just, you just kind of, you just kind of drift. Uh, I think it's such, such a beautiful, beautiful way of, of literalizing that. Just for the record, there's a lot of laughs that you guys aren't hearing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why this, I don't know. Did somebody sell a funny joke or something like that? Or I don't know. Oh. But you know, I, I, I love it. And like, you have the, like, I honestly, I think, we don't do a ton of comedies. I don't know if we've really done any pure comedies on this show, but Bertram got really into the 60s and no one ever saw him again is pound for pound one of the best jokes in the history of movies. Rick, you're stepping on my toes, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I have a whole section on that a little later on. <laughs> All right. So let's get to it. Number one. Cam, what's your number one scene? Well, since it, I don't think it's been specifically picked by anybody here yet, uh, I'm going to go with the Legend of the Beast scene um, because of the quote forever. Uh, and more or less, yeah, just because um, this whole thing is like really just a built up uh, story that um, Squints tells. And, uh, you know, when you think about all the implications of that, that that is... Uh, kind of the, the thing that Benny goes on to like prove his legend status against and you know really it's just like a tall tale I don't know I just kind of I just kind of liked that he you know uh whether or not he intended to pull a fast one on everybody um he uh you know the, the, he kind of set the foundation for kind of everything else that you know yeah transpired yeah I think it's an important scene because it it kind of establishes the fantastic nature of the rest of the movie yeah every, everything up to that point is very grounded in reality and it's like oh by the way there's a monster in the next yard over i remember when my family saw the movie for the first time um my mom almost had to be resuscitated from the scene of the forever part she <laughs> she was la i've never seen her laugh so hard in my life she was like almost like choking we were like whoa this scene got her but uh yeah it's such a great scene and, and i love the fact that like the animal just becomes so big, just like in children's eyes, like they can imagine like what this thing looks like. Even when the, the dog like jumps up and like grabs the ball from the, I think yeah. it's the, 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 it's like, it looks like a dinosaur. Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. So what's your, what's your one, Derek? My one is the same as you, Rick, actually. Uh, it's the end where, you know, the narrator's telling us. That was my two. That was my two. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that, yeah. That's my number one. Uh, I love that scene. It's, I think they probably got it from several of the movies, maybe Stand By Me type thing, um, you know, where they kind of explain what happened to each kid. And I, and I love the different stories, but the ultimate one is, is Bertram Grover Weeks. Uh, that'll never, that you, you, you guys are in for a real treat today because I actually, for the first time in a while, did not do a recasting. I did what happens to Bertram Grover Weeks. Oh boy. Okay. Uh, so that the is my story of Bertram. <laughs> the story of Bertram. And I, and I, I yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I love the way uh, everyone disappears and everything. And then, um, you know, I, I think the, you know, the, the Timmy and Tommy, like, they invented mini malls. Like yeah. they became millionaires. Like that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. He's like, does his thing, and like I don't know. It, it's just pretty funny how uh, the you know where the writer went for each character, and of course, Benny the Jet better be an MLB player. So I'm glad they went there, which is actually Mike Vitar's older brother who played the part, which is pretty funny. Uh, and for for older Benny the Jet, which is great. But yeah, that's my that's my number one. All right. So my number one is actually one that you guys had already mentioned, and that is the 4th of July scene with one of my favorite versions of America, the beautiful playing with the, the fireworks, as you said, lighting up the sky in, in such a way that is just, you know, beyond realistic. And I think, and this is maybe something, you know, I'm stepping my own toes for something, you know, for, for what this movie does best, but the, the great thing about this movie is it feels like what it felt like at the time. You know, when, when I was a kid, the summers lasted forever. Fourth of July fireworks lit up the whole sky. The scary dog in the yard was 10 feet tall and 60 feet wide. And, you know, it is, you know, to make that stand by, stand by me comparison, it's like, do you have any friends like you did when you were 12 years old? Christ, does anybody? Right, uh, right. You know, to, to quote that movie. And it just, it it really, even though my 
childhood was not necessarily like this, it definitely felt like this, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And that's that's why I love this movie so much, I think, the, the, the big reason. But in the 4th of July scene, to tie it back to that, is the you know is is the ultimate scene that captures that to me we've lost cam i'm back i'm back cam, all right cam got really into his kitchen and then yeah. no one ever saw him again yeah. <laughs> i'm back so that's uh that's what we liked about the movies those are that the, the movie that's our you know our favorite scenes unfortunately oh by the way i just want to Get uh, get my honorable mentions in as well. The camping trip you mentioned. Nobody talked about Squints and Wendy Peppercorn at the pool. That's yeah, a great scene. They it's did, a great did. scene. It's yeah. it's hilarious. That kid's great. Uh, and and the the scene with James Earl Jones, who is just like you know no uh, no pun intended comes in throwing heat. He's uh, yep. he's got a great role in there. The pool but, scene does not hold up in in 2021 though, on several levels. Well, on the like <laughs> on the on the level of like you know, good taste, I guess it doesn't, but like, these are, to me, like, these are like punk kids. Oh yeah. You know, well, no, not, e- not even, not even that direction. I mean, she squints at them at the end, like she or winks at them at the end. Like she's grooming them. Also like, is she like 16 and he's like 12? It's kind of screwed up. And they go on to get, ma- I mean, <laughs> and have nine kids. Have nine kids. It goes, it goes both ways, man. It's like a. I- <laughs> Listen, we do, we have no evidence that Wendy Peppercorn did anything wrong. Listen, at some point, it's illegal. At some point, at some point, but at some point, it becomes legal. That's true. And I choose to believe that they waited. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they waited until until squints. He could consent. Yeah, until Squints turned 18, but you know the day he turned 18, he was knocking on her door. I don't know. Squints was planning it for years. I'm sure he's got a, a couple of other things up his sleeve. So I don't know. I don't know Maybe if I trust him to wait. Well, you know what? I trust Wendy. She's a All lifeguard. Right. She's a lifeguard. That's if you true. can't trust a lifeguard who literally guards your life, who can you trust? It's true. But anyway, let's talk about our least favorite part of the movie. Cam, is, is that your least favorite part of the movie, that Squints cannot consent to his attempted rape of Wendy Peppercorn? <laughs> no, no, no. It, see, it doesn't have to go that way. I mean, he also, he also initiates the contact. So it's, you know, the lines are, you know, what's black and what's white. And what, you know, it's all these There's a clear line, and they're both on the side. No, things, yeah. right. Yeah. And it's where the adults swim and the, you know, the deep end and the shallow end. <laughs> um, my least favorite scene is the carnival scene. I just thought it was dumb. I didn't need people throwing up on rides in the movie. But <laughs> that, was, that was the... The uh, yeah, the uh, t- uh, chewing tobacco carnival scene. Yep. Just yeah, it really doesn't do anything. It's it, it, like you could chop that out of the movie and it would be fine. And I didn't want to hate that scene for such superficial reasons, but literally once the scene was over, I was like, that was completely not even needed, like at all. Like they literally like take the chewing tobacco, go inside, get on the ride, immediately get sick, and then like leave five minutes later. It doesn't even like have them going around the carnival. They just do like one thing and they're out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, see- it seemed like the, the director slash writer's idea of like, let me throw in like another goofy, funny scene for the kids, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it, was, it seemed like a lot of padding. Derek, what's your, uh, what's your least favorite part? All right, so this is a kind of a strange one, but I think a lot of people might agree with me here, maybe for different reasons, but it's definitely odd. So I understand that throughout the movie, the director chooses different characters to do different things. He wants every character to kind of have their own thing. For instance, the two brothers, you know, one repeats the older brother. That's their shtick. Bertram has the, the cha at the carnival. That's his little shtick. You know, uh, Benny's the, the, the best. You know, Smalls is this. Uh, Ham is the chubby, funny one. Squints is the goofy. Fu- the, the one thing that was odd to me is during the scene when they were all trying to get the ball back, Timmy comes out of the the house, the tree house, and he's got stuff all over him. And he's just like, I blame myself. And he's like, we, should, we, we need total surprise. And it's just kind of weird because he's like the one character who kind of looks like Smalls. So I remember in the past, some people I knew were like, was that Smalls? And I'm like, no, that was Timmy, one of the brothers. And they were like, oh, that's kind of random. And I was like, 
I feel like if they had set it up earlier in the movie that he was like really smart and they came up with really cool ideas and like, how do we fix things? That would, that would have played much better. Like, oh, he blames himself because he's the intelligent one of the gang. But that, that there's no setup for him being like, I blame it's, myself for this. It doesn't really work for me. Is, is he the one who repeats or is no, no, he no. the older brother? He's the older brother. Because the better gag is like, you just have the younger brother repeat and then he comes out covered in dust and has this fucking soliloquy. Of, right like, blame myself but it really like yeah you're right that doesn't work on like any it, level it, and like maybe the director was like well I, I really don't have a moment for this kid yeah um and maybe his is his moment but it just uh, why is it your fault why do you blame yourself who even are you <laughs> like you know what i mean it's kind of like if yaya came out and did that it would have been the same thing like what well yeah uh, it would have been a like a better joke because he's not going yeah yeah like it's it right right you know you, you like it should be subverting something and it just doesn't it's just right here's a kid he, he, he's gonna have something to do Right. Yeah. Parents so, keep complaining on set. We gotta give them something to do. Right. So yeah, that's mine. Mine is it's the beast puppet. It's like it just it looks so silly, it, and like it not in a, in the way that it, it is like from the point of view of a child. Like the, I love the size of it, and I love the fact that it like eats the ball and like jumps fifteen feet in the air. But the fact that it's just like a still puppet. Like, you're telling me you couldn't get the fucking Jim Henson company to come up with something, you and know? Like, and, like, I just picture that big puppet eating a kid. Yeah, yeah <laughs> eating. Because its owner is like, Squince is like, yeah, he's the one who made that, the dog eat that kid. Like, I just picture this scene of him being like, eat that kid. <laughs> I like the animatronic dog. Yeah, yeah. I See, I wanted, that, if anything, I wanted to go further. I wanted to be like fucking American Werewolf in London, just like the size of like a gorilla. Like just... I mean, I don't know if it was necessarily meant to uh, convey like, you know, how ridiculous it looks to an adult versus how real it looks to a kid. Yeah. But um, maybe if that was the intention, they pulled it off. But otherwise, yeah, I, I guess I can kind of agree. And I will say this is a movie that was probably shot in 92, 93 that was not meant to be watched on a high def TV, like right. a bit high def big screen TV, you know, and, and, you know, picked apart like this. Uh, okay. it, it was, it was meant to be like one shock on a big screen. And then you're like, what the fuck a giant dog. So I'll give it that. It was not meant to hang up, to, not meant to stand up to this level of scrutiny at, that you get at the greatest movie of all time podcast. But yeah, so that's our, that's our least favorite part. So now let's talk about metals. The people, things. I bet you could give it to a place. You know, I, I. You know what? In fact, I just may give it to a place. No, I'm not going to. I can't. I can't change mine. But uh, my fourth place is the Sandlot itself. Uh, let's say that. No, see the person, place, thing that uh, helped or benefited from this movie in the greatest way. So, Cam, who is your bronze medal winner? Um, my bronze medal winner is the animatronic dog. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I, it's, it's just cool to me. The animatronic dog is my bronze medal winner. <laughs> you can't have this dog. You can't have this movie without this animatronic dog because you need this dog to seem massive and huge. And in 1991 on a, film that probably wasn't expected to do as good as it is you're probably dealing with 1975 animatronics so bronze to the animatronic dog all right derek who's your uh, who's your bronze medal winner i went with a hamilton ham porter for my bronze uh, i thought uh he was one of the definitely the funniest characters in the movie he's one of the main characters really he carries a lot of the movie with his explanation of you know he has so many great lines uh the great bambino um, I, I always love the scenes where they're, they're, you know, they're, they're giving the nicknames for Babe Ruth and he, and he always ends it with like, you know, the great Bambino and things like that. And he's always like, the s'more scene is so great. Uh, how can I have some more of nothing? Like it's, you're killing me smalls. is like one of the greatest lines from that movie, the shirts, him just, uh, you know, chastising the other team while he's while he's catching and uh you know making them strike out and he even does it to smalls during one of the practices um 
He's a lot of fun. I've seen him in other movies after this, and I wish I hadn't because he's not really good at, at acting. But I, I really like him in this one. So this is his uh, time to shine. So Ham, there's your there's your bronze medal. It's uh, Patrick Renna is the Patrick Renna. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, so my uh, bronze medal goes to Chauncey Leopardi uh, as Squints. And that is, I mean, he gets forever. Um, you know, he gets the pool scene, which, like, regardless of the implications of the relationship between Squints and Wendy, uh, is like great physical comedy, where he just like does like a huh, wink. It, yeah, he's he's tremendous child actor. Cam, who is your uh, who's your silver medal? My silver medal. Um, goes to Dennis Leary uh, as Bill. And I pick this because uh, that character is not necessarily a prominent one in the movie, um, although he does provide the, um, what is it, plot device or whatever in the form of the, the, um, the ball that there's such a great conflict around. But um, in all the nostalgia that this movie discusses um, and kind of hits on relationships really well, uh, I don't know. I think his portrayal of the stepdad character uh, is a pretty solid one uh, to anyone who can like relate being through an experience like that. Like when they're younger, that is definitely a lot of the personal tension in the smalls household at first. And kind of like, you know, that that's kind of like what sets the need for Scott to like go out and make friends a little bit too, is that um, while he's like dependent upon this person to teach him how to catch uh, he also needs to like make allies other than this person too. So that is, uh, yeah, that's my silver medal. Yeah, I, I, I love that character because, uh, th- like, the casting of Dennis Leary does a lot of the the legwork, right? He's just kind of like blusterer, you know. And at this point, I mean, he wasn't really so much an actor as just stand up comedian. Totally. And like his persona. You know, it, it kind of matches up the character. Like he's he to a child, he'd probably be very intimidating, but he's not a, like a bad guy in the movie at all. No, yeah. no, and you don't ever get a backstory really like on him to make him seem negative. But like you definitely feel like the tension and the coldness, and I mean, you know, that's just kind of like an inherent thing of like those, you it's, know, yeah. as a child in that relationship, that's kind of like the inherent emotion that you feel. Yeah, just like, especially like with a step-parent, it's like, I really don't have a ton in common with this person. Right. Like, I have to try to find some way to communicate. Absolutely. He, yeah. he, does, a, he does a pretty terrible job at that as communicating. I mean, Dennis Leary plays the part well, but like all the things that he does, Bill, he, it's just the wrong things. Like number one, you know, his wife's like telling, telling Smalls like, you know, when he doesn't like, you know, don't touch his things. He doesn't like that. Like, okay. Okay. So I can't touch his things. Number two, he throw a ball pretty hard at his face. He catches it and he goes in the house and he just slaps a stake in his face, the slap noise it makes. And then the next thing he says is, you gotta watch out for that curve. What is that gonna do for a kid who has no fucking clue about baseball? Uh, he's not very good at fathering, but you know, I guess maybe Smalls needs it anyway. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think again, this is one of those things where it's you know, it's from Smalls' perspective. You know, it's it's like, did it really happen like that, or does he just remember it as like, oh yeah, he threw a ball in my face and then slapped a stake on me? Then again. Like, uh, did good parenting exist before 1990? I don't know. No. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I don't think it it, it improved after that either. So, no. <laughs> arguably, oh, it, oh, it it did. Like, it's like fatherhood in 1959 or 51 or whatever this was supposed to take place. I think it was 51. 62. 52. Okay. 62. Uh, 62. Okay. All right. So I was I was late. So very like, and this is something that other you know, shows and movies touch on as well. Like. The mother was supposed to be the one that had like the emotional raising of the kid and the father would go provide. And now, you know, as later years went on, it kind of shifted to where it's a more equal division of, of both of those things. Like at the time, I feel like fathers weren't expected to be traditionally like what you think of as a good father now at that time. Yeah. Especially as far as, especially in the category of like nurturing fathers weren't really yes, you yes. know bedtime you know bedside manner literally for the mothers yeah my silver is mike vitar as benjamin 
Franklin Rodriguez. And he is exactly who you wanted to be friends with when you were 11 years old. He is one of the best. Yeah, one of like the best like friends to look up to in movies. I had a friend just like that too growing up. He was like the very talented like sports kid who was cool to me and I hung around with him and stuff. I mean, we grew apart because that's what happens. But I looked up to him because of, you know, how athletic he was. And I think, you know, so you make a good point. Great performance from, from a young actor and always, always stuck with me. So let's go to gold camp. Who do you have for gold? Uh, uh, skip, James skip my silver. Uh, did we? Yep. Is your silver really that important? No, I'm kidding. Uh, all right, what's your, what's your silver? <laughs> well, my silver is actually a tie. I went with Tom Geary, who plays Scotty Smalls, and Mike Vitaro, who plays Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez. I think they carry the movie, and they do really cool things throughout it. Tom Geary, I feel like, has a lot of moments people forget about that are really, really fun. His acting is, is just funny, especially in the scene where, you know, clearly – the fake ball is, is in, is in his stepdad's room. And his mom is like, do you know who that is? That, that's Babe Ruth and stuff. And he's just like, I don't, I don't know anything about it. And his eyes just get wide. And uh, I like the, I like the, uh, you know, the acting choices that he makes. They're a lot of fun. And, you know, uh, as soon as he finds out who Babe Ruth finally is, he's yelling at the, his friends. He finds out falls to his knees. I don't feel so good. He's not a main character who was forgettable. He's, he's very good as, as the main character. And then you have, like you said, Mike Vitar is great as that, like the athletic, cool friend, but really nice friend. I mean, he gets, you know, Benjamin takes him in, you know, he takes him in under his wing type thing. And he's like, I'm so talented. Just put your glove out in the air. I'll take care of the rest. I will hit the ball into your glove, yeah. which is insanity. But they play off each other really, really well. And it's so cool to see later on in the movie, they become friends. Even They're still friends when they're adults. Um, so those two will get my silver. All right. Cam, who's your gold? My gold is James Earl Jones. Um, because he, here he is, uh, once again, um, being the mysterious figure behind kind of the leading overarching male role in a movie you know whether it's Darth Vader or this uh and yeah I don't know this is the um to me his acting ability here is like uh you know it's like me picking uh there will be blood and then picking the Sandlot um you know very he's a very serious character in each but obviously the the style of each film is is quite considerably different and, uh, yeah, I just like the fact that he's kind of the man behind the curtain there. And, uh, yeah. All right, yeah. Excellent choice. Derek, who is your gold? My gold goes to Chauncey Lapardi, who plays Michael Squins Pelodorus. I think he's the funniest character in the movie. He gets some of the best moments. We've talked about them earlier. We talked about the pool scene. He's so funny in that scene. Uh, one thing I... Uh, we did notice while we were watching it is that he's holding his glasses the entire time. He jumps in the water. He's holding the glasses at the bottom of the pool. They take him out. He's still holding his glasses tight. It's like, how do you not realize it that he's not dead? He's holding his glasses. Like he didn't let them go, but uh, you know, that it's so funny. I, I love all the different little quirky things that he says. Uh, he, he, he's, he's hilarious. I've seen him in another movie couple of years after this is a, a movie with Sinbad called House Guest that was a very popular movie in my family. And he is very good in that as well. He's a little bit older and stuff, but uh, not quite as funny. He's more of a straight character who just gets yelled at by his father, who's Phil Hartman. He's a, he's a cool little actor. I, I mean, I don't think he did much after that, but uh, he gets my gold for this. All right. Excellent. Uh, my gold goes to uh, David Mickey Evans, who wrote, directed, and narrated the movie. And, you know, he... Even if he just wrote and directed it, he'd be a strong contender. But the, the narration in this is excellent. You know, he has some great lines as a narrator. You know, he has the, you know, Bertram got really into the 60s and nobody ever saw him again, which is a great delivery. He has, like, he'd kissed a woman. He'd kissed her long. He kissed her hard and he'd kissed her well or whatever the line is. He kissed her long and good. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best uh, line. The way he delivers it, too, is fantastic. And there's a, we got into the biggest pickle. Yeah, he's. I think he's he's great as a narrator, and uh, he gets he gets my gold as a result. So, let's go to uh, recasting slash the continuation of the story. I guess uh, 
with uh, with Derek here. Uh, but I, I did have a recast. Cam, did you recast any roles? I didn't recast any roles in particular, but um, I don't know whether it's the hairstyles or just kind of the presentation of people. Um, I always kind of related this a lot to like freaks and geeks in a way. It always kind of reminded me to that of that. And I could definitely see a lot of those roles in my mind kind of like crossing over into this crowd a little bit. Um, I could see like a Jonah Hill or like a Seth Rogen as ham sort of situation. And um, yeah, just, you know, d different, different things like that. Um, so yeah, no, no real recasting. Uh, I think it is kind of shocking that, you know, a lot of these people went on to have other kind of minor careers, but like this didn't really like launch anyone into superstardom of any kind. Um, even though it's got a few, a few big names, you know, uh, definitely in it. But uh, yeah, um, uh, that, that's it for me. Yeah. Uh, so I, I did a little bit of recasting. I do have a, for the most part, I don't recast child actors because I just don't want that in my Google history. But I did recast three of the adult roles. Uh, I recast Scott's mother. I recast Bill and I recast Mr. Myrtle. So Scott's mother, I wanted to, and this would be is if the movie was made today. Scott's mother, I went with someone who is super likable as uh, to me, Karen Allen, uh, as we've talked about in our Raiders of the Lost Ark episode, is super likable. So I went with Kristen Bell as Scott's mother. For Bill, I wanted to keep it in the Boston area. I wanted the Boston guy as Bill. And I, I wanted uh, somebody who might be a little bit hard for somebody like Scotty Smalls to identify with, but maybe in a different way than Dennis Leary. I went with Chris Evans as Bill. So instead of like the, the gruff exterior, he's just like a total jock that I will say, Rick, you went for a very good looking couple. That is a very good looking couple. Yes. I think Kristen Bell might be a little bit distracting to me if, if she was the mother. Cause like, Karen, I mean, that's Karen, you, that's a you problem. No, I'm just saying Karen Allen's like, she's, she, she's not like, you don't look at her and say, Ooh, you're like, Oh, she's adventure. She's like the adventurous actress, you know, but you know, that's just me. I guess it's just you, Derek. I guess it is. And Mr. Myrtle, I wanted a, 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 a sci science fiction powerhouse uh, to be, uh, to be in this. And I wanted a guy with a hell of a voice. So I went with Edward James Olmos as Mr. Myrtle. Don't know if I know him. Well, you're going to see him in Blade Runner next week, and he was in the Battlestar Galactica remake. He's been in a bunch of stuff. You have most likely seen him. Um, oh, I, I recognize him now, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm surprised you didn't go with Gary Busey for this one. Busey, okay. <laughs> just a, I don't know. As, just... as, as Smalls, right? <laughs> as Smalls, Yeah. <laughs> Be weird. He was, he was, he was, it was signed by a, by a baby, a baby Ruth. Oh man. Some, some more of what? I, I can't have some more. Anyway. Um, so yeah, Edward James almost as Mr. Myrtle Twitter. Oh, Derek. How can we forget we me? For you keep forgetting I, me, I, Rick. I, I'm I, here. I'm yeah, here with you. Yeah, Derek. I mean, I think maybe I'm, I'm just nervous about this uh, aspect of the episode. All right. Uh, what, tell us, and this is, Bertram, this is Bertram's Excellent Adventure. All right, so I will say this. A lot of people who do, watch, who do listen to the show have mentioned in the past they did enjoy my continuations of stories, so I am bringing it back for the same yeah. reason why Rick did not uh, recast a lot of people is I don't want this like child history IMDB thing on my computer. Uh, so I didn't recast... The, 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 so I, I continued with the character of Bertram Grover Weeks, who, you know, that famous line, Bertram, well, Bertram got really into the 60s and no one ever saw him again. Well, I'm about to tell you what happened to Bertram Grover Weeks. Gather yeah, around. It's going to be in black and white. Gia like, went out. Like Gia, Wince is telling the story. Gia went outside, came back about eight minutes later, and I was like, I have the whole backstory. And she's like, what? And I read her what this was. So here we go. Bertram Grover Weeks. Bertram left town and moved to San Francisco where he got a job driving a taxi. In 1967, he saw Jimi Hendrix perform and was introduced to LSD. 
He began taking a variety of drugs and also began to sell them as well. He became so well known for being a drug dealer that he gained a reputation. He was later drafted into the Vietnam War where he was shot three times and had to use a wheelchair. Not once, not twice, three 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 times. He also damaged his skull when a bomb went off nearby. When he returned home and given the Medal of Honor or whatever they give them in the war, (laughs) Bertram was given physical therapy and was able to walk around with a cane. He had major surgery on his skull and a metal plate was placed in front of his forehead, right behind his forehead, in front of his brain because why not? He was dirt poor and basically living on the streets. He now had long hair and a big bushy beard. He had heard that there was a new business being built down the road from where he typically slept on the street and accidentally ran into the owners, Timmy and Tommy Timmons, who were building a mini mall. When they saw how he looked and they saw that he was clearly out on the street, they cleaned him up, put him in a hotel for a week. They then wrote him a check for $20,000. That's a lot of money back then. It's a lot of money now. Bertram used the money to get back in his feet though one of his legs was still not right, relying on the cane still. He rented an apartment in Sacramento and began going to school to be a professor. He began teaching sociology at a Sacramento community college. He met a woman named Lily while working there and they became romantically involved. Because her family was involved in outdoor activities such as hunting, she kept a handgun in her apartment. One night she took too much Xanax and put a bullet between Bertram's eyes. <laughs> Lily, let me finish. Let me finish. Lily was arrested, and Bertram survived because that random metal plate blocked the bullet from entering his brain. In 1981, Bertram wrote a book and now collects baseball memorabilia. He got a call from Benny the Jet Rodriguez in 1989, and he was invited back to the Sandlot for a reunion. He went. The other guys couldn't believe that he got really into the 60s, but guess what? They would see him again. Derek, what you've just said <laughs> is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. <laughs> At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone listening to this podcast is now dumber for having listened to that. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Simple wrong would have been fine, but... uh. So you're calling Smalls a liar, basically, in your story. Well, you know what? That, I mean, they just wanted to forget about him. He had a very, very messed up life. And you know what? He survived a gunshot to the head. So good, good, good for Bertram. Maybe two gunshots to the head because we, went, we didn't see where he got shot in Vietnam. Yeah, three bullets. I, I was assuming they went kind of like near his spine because his legs were screwed up. But he was able to walk. Just he needed a cane. But if he didn't, if he didn't meet up with Timmy and Tommy Timmons in Sacramento, he never would have had that money. Never would have got back on his feet. So he probably would have died out in the street somewhere. But I don't think there's a reason why there's not a sequel to his life. I don't get it. I mean, there should be at least a three-hour epic about Bertram Weeks. You know, there there is a a Disney Plus uh, similar to the Mighty Ducks reunion show uh, happening for the Sandlot. Really? Yeah. And uh, the, actually, Gia pointed out that the actor who plays Bertram Grover Weeks is actually in a movie called The Sixties, which is pretty funny. Um, but to also your point, Rick, if no one has seen the Mighty Ducks show, I recommend it. It's actually pretty funny, and we actually really enjoyed it. And I thought I would absolutely hate it. So go in with low expectations. You'll like it more. Okay. Noted. Duck show. <laughs> so let's talk about, uh, well, Twitter follow of the week, David Mickey Evans. Let's, uh, let's, get, uh, let's get some followers to him if you haven't already. Um, let's go to what this movie does best. Cam, is there anything that The Sandlot does better than any other movie? nostalgia yeah yeah um yeah i think it's just self-explanatory it does i i i don't i didn't really play baseball or or many other sports like growing up um and i think you said earlier like you know not every aspect of this is entirely completely relatable but um even when i watched it the other day uh you know before this like i almost felt like i was watching like a home movie um and you know i i my childhood was 30 years after this movie was even supposed to be based but um 
still come from that, you know, older school era, I guess now, um, you know, where people, uh, kids played outside until, you know, the streetlights came on and, and that sort of stuff. And I just think, uh, yeah, it reminds everyone kind of of their childhood and experiences in one way or another. Yeah. Just the, I, yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree with that. Uh, Derek, I won't skip you, but I'll, I'll jump on it. Cause kind of mine is just the same as cams, basically just the, um, the, the feeling, like I said before, it's like summer vacation would last forever. You know, the days would last until, you know, it, it, it doesn't get dark until nine o'clock and you're just out until the street lights are on. And even if it's not nine kids, it's like a few kids in your neighborhood riding bikes around or, yeah. you know, playing baseball, playing football and just having a, having a good time. Just, and the idea of just like, the, the mother of Karen Allen just being like, go outside and just like play ball with these kids you don't know. Yeah. It's just like, you know, have, have we seen the last of that? I don't know. I hope not. Derek, the internet's what, a scary place. What's that? I said the internet's a scary place now. It is. It is. Yeah. Derek, who, uh, what do you have? What does this movie does better, do better well, before, than anything else? Before I jump in, wh- where do you guys think this is this is located? Because a, a California. Lot of, yeah, I was gonna say a lot yeah. of. I see a lot of mountains in the background. And he I says thought, they're in the valley, so they're in like. Oh, Los Angeles gotcha. Area. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Cool. All right, mine's kind of similar. I just, for me, it was like the most memorable sports movie with kids involved. I mean, there's a bunch of them in the '90s. In the early '90s, you got the Sandlot, you got the Mighty Ducks, you got the Big Green, you got. Um, yeah, little uh, big league. Yeah, little giants. R- rookie, get, of the, rookie of yeah, the year. Damn. Yeah, they're, and they're all between like '92 and '96. So there's so many. But yeah. even though I love the Mighty Ducks, I feel like if I went out into a crowd and I said, "Have you seen the Mighty Ducks? Have you seen the Sandlot?" I think most of them would say Sandlot is the one that they've seen. So I think that makes it the the number one you know movie for for this genre. So I think it's I think it's the most memorable out of those kids' movies. All right, excellent. So let's jump into the Oscars from this year. And this is a year that we have discussed uh, previously in our very first episode in Jurassic Park. So let's go through some of the, uh, the major categories here. Uh, no nominations for The Sandlot. Uh, best Picture is won by, uh, I would say in a lot of ways, a similar movie to The Sandlot in Schindler's List. I almost actually got them confused when you, when yeah. you mentioned the Sandlot. I, know, I was like, yeah. "Should I put on Schindler's List?" Yeah, yeah. No, it's the same same stakes. You know, same. No, Schindler's List wins uh, wins Best Picture. Other nominees are The Fugitive, In the Name of the Father, The Piano, and in real life, uh, The Remains of the Day. But we knocked that out and we replaced it with Jurassic Park. I I mean I love the movie, but anyone going to make the case for the Sandlot to be best picture of the year? No. Yeah. Best. Uh, you might need to go to the kids choice awards. Yes. Maybe. Kids choice. Oh, uh, multiple, multiple orange blimp winner, I guess. Yes. Or at least it should have been best director is one by Steven Spielberg for Schindler's list. Other nominees, Jim Sheridan for the name of the father, uh, James Ivory for the remains of the day. Uh, Robert Altman for Shortcuts, and it was Jane Campion for The Piano, but we replaced her with Steven Spielberg for Jurassic Park. So double Spielberg year uh, for for our nominees. So again, similar. I like the movie. I don't think uh, David Mickey Evans is necessarily a best director nominee this year, unless you guys have uh, a different take than me. No, I think he does a good job, but I think... uh... I wouldn't nominate him personally. Okay. So I don't think, uh, I don't think we have a best actor in this movie. I don't think we have a best actress. Is there anyone we talk about for best supporting actor? No, not for me. Okay. Cam is shaking his head, but he's on mute. He's now he's kind of nodding. Uh, he's acknowledging that. No. I, that he's I, no. the no, the no, yeah. The nod was acknowledging that he said no. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And and no best supporting actor. Are there any other categories you'd want to try to fit this in? Screenplay, um, uh, score, no original songs, sound. Best animatronics. Best, I mean, special effects. Jurassic Park loses yeah. to the dog yeah. in the sandlot. Yeah. 
If, if anybody out there likes the dog ben, and this movie better than the T-Rex in Jurassic Park, come, come and talk to be, us. Best visual effects nominees for this year is one by Jurassic Park. The other nominees are Cliffhanger and The Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm, okay. I don't Definitely think yeah. Cool animation, but yeah, the Sandlot doesn't belong there. No, no. Definitely a runner-up, though. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, if they were going to go with four nominees that year, you, you, you bet your ass that the immobile puppet from the Sandlot would have been it. <laughs> unsung hero i guess so so now we come to the most important part of the show and that is when i i don't use spotify i use a stopwatch and i time 30 seconds out while derek tells us why our subject for the week is the greatest movie of all time derek are you ready I don't know what we're even doing anymore, man. Let's do it. Three, two, one, go. All right, The Sandlot. Why is it the greatest movie of all time? Well, everybody remembers this as a kid, especially in our generation. I think this is our generation's favorite sports, fun kid movie. Uh, it's so quirky. It's so funny. Uh, the story goes along, and there's a lot of funny scenes. Uh, I think this is a very memorable movie. I think it should be considered... Uh, in the category of best sports kids movie. <laughs> it's a very niche uh, category, but that's what I got to say about it. Go watch it. If you haven't, what's wrong with you, idiot? That is time. Just as Derek calls our viewers idiots again. <laughs> Aren't they listeners and not viewers? <laughs> if, they're, if, if, if they're watching this podcast, <laughs> no, I've, I don't I, know what they're doing. I definitely don't have people to my left just off screen. Just want to throw it out there. I definitely don't. Anyway, moving on. That was weird. What? Are you referring to the people that are definitely not directly to my left right now? No, I was just referring to, the, to your tone. You know, your, 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 your tone and the way, you, the way you spew out words. Like, I'm supposed to understand what you're talking about at all times, Ricky. Are you there in person, Derek? No, no, I'm, I'm not. See, Derek doesn't see uh, inside inside baseball. No pun intended uh, for our, our our listeners here. Derek uh, doesn't um, doesn't uh, his put house. his face on Zoom uh, for some reason. I don't know why. I will say, Rick, when you just when 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 Cam, when you just asked if I was there with Rick, I actually looked to my right, and I don't know why. Because <laughs> you're cause, because somebody nobody is standing to my left. You can't Definitely be sure. not. You can't be sure of anything anymore in this life. So I said, you know what? Maybe Rick is on the couch with me. Maybe Rick's on the couch right now. Yeah. No. No. We're uh, we're we're uh, we are not together. We uh, we record over Zoom, as as people may or may not be able to tell. Um, yeah. Uh, Derek does not like to have his face on there for some reason, which is fine. It's a personal choice. Uh, I assume it's because he he does the show in some kind of strange state, like state of undress. Yeah, usually there's whipped cream on my chest, so I don't want you guys to see that and be subject to that. Um, and to keep in mind, my shirt's not even off. I just happen to put whipped cream all over my shirt. Over the shirt. Over yeah. the shirt. Yep. Um, so, you know, just, and I, I usually mix some caramel in with it too, so it's a little bit odd. Oh, it's almost like, it's like skin color at that drizzle. point. Drizzle, just a drizzle. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I mean, I just do things that make me happy, so. Live your best life, Derek. Wear a jacket next time. <laughs> and that's why they call him the Big Deck Boski. That's right. Because right. he puts whipped cream and caramel in it. <laughs> That's exactly why. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but occasionally Derek will uh, flash his face in a, in a, in a close-up, making a, a, a strange, um, just, a, just an odd face uh, into the camera. Yeah, like that. <laughs> you on your phone? No, it's, it's my laptop. It's just the camera's awful. So I don't have my actual webcam plugged in. So, uh, But, yeah, it's just really bad. But I, I do want to get into something else, and I okay. think I think if you're going to watch this movie and you want to talk snacks, okay, snack. Let's 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 do some some snackage for the. I think for the sand, yeah, the sandlot for me, cracker jack, yeah, cracker jacks are the way to go. If you don't have cra- traditional, yeah, traditional. If you don't have them, I don't blame you because nobody buys cracker jacks anymore. But you know what's also a good treat is to get some tortilla chips and just throw them on a plate, dump some shredded Mexican cheese over that microwave it for a little bit and just dip it into some salsa. That'll be a tasty treat for the Sandlot on this. Why, why that? Why, the, why that for the Sandlot? Well, you know, 
I think when it's the summertime, I, I, one of the foods I like eating the most is salsa. It makes me feel like I'm on vacation and I don't know why. Uh, so, you know, salsa and, 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 and baseball and hot weather, they go you together know, for me. It's, it's like you lemonade. Know, I, you, I, you know, I had, I had a discussion recently with, with Jen, past and future guest Jen uh, Barrasso, my wife, what constitutes a summer food versus a fall food, mm. you know, or a winter food. Yep. You know, and it, it's not just temperature that does it. You know, of course, ice cream, watermelon. Yeah. Cold, ice cold lemonade, summer. But burgers, summer. You know, I, I, would, I would argue uh, like uh, popcorn, Cracker Jacks, baseball foods, hot dogs. I mean, I eat all those foods in the winter as well. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you can have you can have winter foods in the summer well, and summer well, foods in the winter. Tins but... are Christmas. So yeah, but those true. are those are specific type of popcorn. I did have a friend who I was like, "You want a glass of lemonade?" And I'm like, <laughs> "It's not the summer." I'm like, "Okay, freak." That'd be weird, Derek. <laughs> what time of year do you drink chocolate milk? I mean, that's year round, 365, yeah, that's your, all, every day. If, if there's no chalk milk in the house, there's going to be problems for a lot of people. I mean, listen, there, there, are, there are definitely foods. You know, I can this, – this was uh, – you know, we had eaten soup recently, you know, just in the last couple of weeks. And it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's June as we record this. So, you but know, you, know what, you know what, though, Rick? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, like, you know, we eat hot foods in the summer. You, you Burgers do, are hot. Right. Soup is just – you know, it's just the temperature is hot. You can it's, eat soup and it cools down. I, I, I understand that. But, you know, I, I would argue soup, even like a gazpacho, is not necessarily a summer food to me. It's mm -hmm. just – it's the hardiness of the, of the, of the soup – that makes it like a fall winter food primarily for me. Right, right. I mean, if I went to a barbecue and they were like, "All we have is hot soup. Get your bowl." <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be confused. I'd be like, I, "I'd be like, I, I'm hungry." You know, you know, some like barbecue. I mean, Cam, you're in Texas. Yeah. Like, I bet there's some like barbecue soup. <laughs> what? Mm, I don't. I don't think so. Not that I know. I mean, of. I feel like just like a like a just fall apart like barbecue meat. In like soup form. I would have to ask. I don't know of a specific dish. They're usually just like sausage, burn-ins, brisket, like all the standards, you know. And barbecue is not a summer food. Uh like down here in a hundred degrees. That's like uh asking to die. Yeah, but I mean <laughs> even even in like in the fall, it's still it's it's like New England's summer. Oh uh, yeah, no, yeah. it's uh every other time of the year food, that is for sure. Listen, yeah. if, if people nowadays, if they're having their nice barbecues on a hot day, they're turning the barbecue on, and they're not throwing a, a bowl of chicken noodle soup on that <laughs> grill, what are you doing? You know what? I bet if you, like, if you smoke the chicken in a chicken noodle soup. I don't know if that's smoking makes you go. Maybe, maybe. It's worth a shot. I give it's it a try. It's worth a shot. Let me, let me, I'll, this will be the last word on it because we spent a lot of time on food. Uh, lobster, summer food. Lobster bisque. Well, Rick, you know, your last word should be what you and Janet were talking about, because you did say that you were kind of figuring out what constitutes a food being, you know, a summer food. So what does it? Why? What, what, what categorizes you know, I think food? I think it's a, you know, I, 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 I may not know art, but I know what I like. I think you have to see it. It's, it's tough to define. But I, I think my, my point is I don't think temperature is a disqualifying factor. Agreed. Okay. But anyway, lobster bisque, fall, winter. <laughs> mm. That's all I wanted mm. to say. That's okay. all I wanted to say. Okay. I hope you've enjoyed our food detour for the week. Uh, so let's talk about uh, what we have coming up next. Uh, I hope you're still with us. Um, so next week on the show, uh, we are going into week two of the Rick's Picks. And I have chosen one of my favorite movies, a movie that Derek has not seen. And I hope that if you guys haven't seen it, uh, as, as listeners or viewers, uh, you know, however you want to uh, refer to you as, check out Blade Runner before next week because it's going to be an extremely fun episode. Week after that, it's the first week of July. It's the week of July 4th. It's our first 4th of July as a show. And there's only one movie we can do. And can you hear it? Can you hear the John Williams score? Born on the 4th of July. Got it. Nope. <laughs> It is Jaws. Ah, uh, I thought at least we did Independence Day. No, absolutely not. It's Jaws. Jaws is the primary Fourth of July movie. I figured we'd do Jaws three at least first. Jaws four, the revenge. <laughs> More Michael Caine talk. I've lost so much respect for that man. Why? 
just because of that movie we watched was, him in. He was like okay in a movie we didn't like that we talked about for the show. And you're like, he, I lost did, all respect for Michael. Didn't he, he won a supporting actor award for a, a movie he was in that wasn't his character wasn't good. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's not his fault. We don't and lose respect. It is his fault. It is his fault. His accent was all it was all, his, all of the place. It was not a great performance. Yeah, he won the Oscar for it, but yeah, fine. Uh, I'm, I'm still butthurt. I can't believe you don't respect one of our finest living actors, Michael Caine. Well, I respect him in Austin Powers Gold Member, but that's about it. That's it. That's the only <laughs> role you expect respect him in. Um, so we get and uh, for uh, for Jaws, we're gonna have a special guest, my good friend Renita San. Can't wait. Going to be a very fun episode. And Cam, I'm glad you're on the show when we announce the episode that we have following that one. This uh, was an episode chosen by another upcoming guest, another of my good friends, Katie Swinbeck. And that is another, I feel, great summer movie. And that is Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Summer, huh? I feel like it's a summer movie. It's a blockbuster. Well, I always, I always think of that more as like a fall, just because like the, the ghost, the Halloweeny ghost, and like the, the drink that came out, like the high C ecto cooler. I always kind of thought of that as like Halloweeny, but that's just. I mean, me. ecto cooler is a summer drink. That's true. I yeah. mean, sure, sure. Get me some ecto cooler. If you can. I'm afraid of no ghost. So yeah, that's uh, we've got a, a fun beginning of July shaping up, and I can't wait to talk about what we have coming up after that, uh, which we will reveal in upcoming episodes. Cam, do you have anything that you want to plug before? We uh, get I have nothing that I want to plug. Nothing. All. All nothing right. at all. Um, look out for the my- independent scene in Austin, Texas. The independent uh, wrestling scene in Austin, Texas. <laughs> yes, the independent wrestling scene in Austin, Texas, and maybe my future return to social media and or uh, political campaigns to be determined. Oh, okay. In the Texas, Massachusetts area. The Texas, the Massachusetts area. Years. The Texas mass border. Yeah. Yes. You absolutely. rule there. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> Derek, what do you have coming up on the greatest album of all time podcast? So next, uh, and I don't know when it's going to be because we might be uh, doing this show biweekly, but the next uh, album we have planned is going to be A Hard Day's Night by the Beatles. It's one that me and G don't have to think much about, so it should be an easy one for us. Uh, But after that, we are getting a little bit out of our comfort zone. We're going to have a guest on, and we are going to be doing uh, Purple Rain by Prince. So it's a little bit out of our comfort zone as far as like 80s music or whatever, but uh, yeah, it should be fun and, uh, you know, can't wait for that one. Listen to yeah. that show if you aren't listening. It's it's a, it's really worthwhile. Check it out. And I just want to thank you guys so much for listening to our episode today on the Sandlot and on summer versus winter foods and fall foods. Uh, if you have a summer or winter food, check it. T- tell us on social media. We want to hear it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, I have been your co-host Rick Barrasso. I have been your co-host, Derek, the wreck, Big Dick Boski, Smythe. And we have had the internet warlord Cameron Pond on the show with us today. Thanks so much for being on, Cam. Great joining you guys uh, and look forward to being back soon. And you, our listeners, we hope you'll be with us forever. Forever.